Yo, it's the Southside's own Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. So Jeff Bentley chased and dropped the 15 yard line. Roquan, the chef, Smith. Roquan Smith, he's the highlight show of this defense. In the ring, steve has got him up. A slam. But Claire, he's not playing one, two. He's there, he's there. And there it goes. Abreu massacres this ball to left center field. The Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. What's up and welcome in. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. We'll open phone lines for you at 312-332-ESPN. 332-3776 is the telephone number. Hit me up on Twitter, twitter.com, tweetjhood. Also on Instagram, IGJHood as we broadcast live. From our first Midwest Bank Studios. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, in my bank. First Midwest Bank. Bank with momentum. We've got tickets to give away. The basketball tournament finals taking place on Tuesday, August 6th at the Wintrust Arena. Teams have a shot to win $2 million in a single elimination tournament. For more information and tickets, go to thetournament.com. It's thetournament.com. If you want to go see basketball in August at the Wintrust Arena, absolutely. We've got your hookup between now and 10 o'clock right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. 312-332-ESPN is our phone number. Good to be back in the chair with you. And it is not just a Thursday, August 1st. No, 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 no. No. It's a throwback Thursday on Under the Hood. And boy, oh boy, do we got a good one for you. As we do every Thursday at 930. Right here on ESPN 1000 and ESPN app. Good to be back in the chair with you. Actually, I was in the chair with you, but you just, I was with Freddie Coleman last night. I actually was in the chair, but I was with uh, Freddie Coleman, Bristol, Connecticut, doing uh, ESPN Radio last night after Houston somebody was playing last night. Indians Astros. Yeah, Indians Astros. I don't know. I was I was just waiting for my cue to go and just to talk. That's uh, that's all I was waiting for. Um, some uh, interesting things will happen with me here over the next um, few days. So, see, Saturday... And Sunday, Dickerson and Hood will be on after Yankees-Red Sox on Saturday. Of course, you can find all this information out on Twitter, Twitter.com, TweetJHood, because you'll forget just like I'm going to forget after I tell you. Saturday, back in with uh, JD on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, Sunday before Red Sox and Yankees, that's 4 to 6. And then two shows with Freddie Coleman on Monday and Tuesday. 
back to the Nationals. So I'm just going to stay in Bristol for a while for the next four days. So back to Connecticut and back to doing shows on ESPN Radio. You can hear those shows on ESPNRadio.com or SiriusXM Channel 80. I'll put that out for you so you won't forget. You can put it in your phone. Just like I have to, to remind me what I'm doing yesterday, tomorrow, two weeks from now. So, so I'm on, but you just got to find me here on ESPN 1000 or on ESPNRadio.com. So here we go. I'm ready, Sean. I don't know if you're ready, but I'm ready because we've got to hear from Jeff Dickerson. We have to hear more, talk a little bit more about the Bears defense as well as we give you, my friends, the summer of football. The summer of football. We're just having fun and we're working, baby. With Jonathan Hood. Come on, baby, let's get it. Let's go now. You fired the first shot. Let's go, man. Five starts. We're deep in their own territory. And it's packed off at the 25 yard line. Eddie Jackson. And he'll go in for the touchdown. We're just having fun and we're working, baby. Pressure now on Mahomes. He's in trouble. Now gets it away. Are you kidding me? Barkley up the middle. Cuts to the outside. Saquon Barkley across midfield. Standard bounds. And Barkley takes it all away. Summer of football. Lawrence flips it open. Justin Ross off and running. And Clemson strengthens its grip on this championship game. Williams in the game for the first time this year for Notre Dame. Takes the hand up. Summer of football. You got it. Work right here on ESPN 1000. I think we ain't done yet. And the ESPN app. It is, my friends, the summer of football. Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. We're going to hear from Matt Fortuna, who covers college football for theathletic.com. If you're a college football fan, make sure you stay by your listening device to uh, hear Matt Fortuna really break down some interesting things about this upcoming college football season. Uh, before we talk some college football, though, let us uh, hear from Jeff Dickerson. J.D. covers the Bears for NFL Nation on ESPN.com and ESPN 1000. Had a number of things to say today. How about this? Everyone's wondering about the kicking, right? Maybe at your job. Maybe on your social media, in your social circle. People are wondering about the Bears and special teams because last time we saw our heroes out there at Soldier Field, there was a missed kick by Cody Parkey who immediately went and spent time on the Today Show to talk about how sad he was for missing the field goal. After that point, the Bears said, get out of our, get out of our sight. Now, it couldn't be salvaged, but the idea that he goes to Hoda Kotby and say, I missed the kick, I'm sorry. That was enough of that. What man does that? Cody Parkey did that. Go away, Cody Parkey. So now we turn the page on special teams, right? Who's going to be the kicker for the Bears? Pinheiro is a guy that's right there in the mix with a couple others when it comes to the kicking game. JD's thoughts. He was impressive today. He went seven of eight guys in the the main special teams portion. Hit a couple of other ones uh, throughout practice, but really... Uh, the spotlight's on the guys when they line up for those eight kick attempts. He missed one from about 50, but then he, he hit his last one from 60. It barely got over, but still, I think a very impressive start to camp for both of these guys. Chris. Well, Khalil Mack had some thoughts some on defense. Well, Khalil Mack had some ridiculous hat trick play today, you know, where he, he bats the ball up in the air, intercepts it, and runs it back for a touchdown. So, I mean, every day he's. He's essentially wrecking drills. Uh, nothing new there. Uh, again, you know, kind of hard to tell if anyone really in that front seven who's not Khalil Mack because you can't sack the quarterback, you can't 
not doing any hitting up front. You're not bringing guys down in the run game. Uh, but, I mean, I think the corners have looked okay. Uh, Buster Screen taking over at Nickelback. Eddie Jackson, Deion Bush. I had a couple of nice plays today as Clinton Dix is still working his way back in. So, uh, we talked to Pagano today, guys. And, I mean, the bottom line is this, and I probably put this too bluntly to Chuck, but, I mean, they just can't screw this up. I mean, there's the talent's there. Uh, from a scheme standpoint, it will be different. There are changes that Pagano is implementing, of course. They're going to be more aggressive. They're going to blitz more. But with a defense that good, I don't expect them to lead the league in, like, every category again like last year. That was that was insane if you went back and saw all the things they were top doing around the NFL. But it should still be a really good defense that helps this team win a lot of games. And unless there's a, a just a catastrophe of injuries, or something horribly wrong from a scheme standpoint, I think that's pretty easy for Bears fans to expect this fall. Some thoughts there from J.D. when it comes to the defense. Here's something of those very intriguing from J.D. earlier today, talking about the star power of, of the roster compared to years prior. And there is a ton, by the way. Go to NFL.com. Look at the top 100. Look at how many quality players are on this Bears team, especially on the defensive side of the football. J.D. spoke to that particular thing when it comes to this Bears roster. It used to come to Bears camp, and there wasn't a single current player's roster. I mean, jersey that you saw on the roster in the stand. I mean, it was Erlacher, it was Buckus, it was Ditka, it was the occasional Briggs, the occasional Tillman, maybe a Kruitz now and again. But there were no current Bears. I mean, when your best-selling jersey was Kyle Long, it was a guard, uh, that, that's a problem. It's very different now. It really is. And I think with Mac and Eddie Jackson and Tariq Cohn and look, there's tons of Trubisky jerseys out here. Uh, Allen Robinson's a very good player. Akeem Hicks is having a terrific uh, second part of his career here in Chicago. Um, the upper echelon of this roster can hang with anybody. But the trick will be it'll be the death. It'll be the guys below them because someone will get hurt, guys will get hurt, and can those reserves, are they good enough to keep everything afloat. that That's the question. But as far as the, the top-tier guys go, I mean, very, very impressive. And I'm not surprised Khalil Mack's number three on the list. You made a couple of plays out here again today, guys, like game-changing stuff, like jumping up, tipping a ball, a pass, intercepting it on his own, and, and running it back for a touchdown like we saw in Green Bay in week one last year. The difference is this is training camp. He had no training camp last year. So it's, I think, very exciting to see how he's going to perform uh, when September rolls around. So some thoughts there from Jeff Dickerson about the Bears. Yeah, star power, star latent across the landscape for the Chicago Bears team. Summer of football with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. We turn now to Matt Fortuna. I got a chance to talk to him earlier from TheAthletic.com. Matt joining us here on Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, the ESPN app. We talk Big Ten. We're talking Notre Dame. But I want to ask you about a piece. And, again, go to theathletic.com and check out Matt Fortuna's thoughts on college football. It's really some interesting storylines, including the NIU Huskies. I asked him about the NIU Huskies. When you read that column, you realize that the arrow is pointing up for this team, but they've had a lot of coaches, almost a stepping stone job for some of these coaches to go someplace else based on their uh, success they've had uh, in DeKalb. So uh, talk to Matt about NIU and, and the Huskies and their success. Yeah, you know, funny enough, yeah, I wrote that a couple of weeks ago, and, and I was at Dicka's downtown on Monday for uh, NIU's uh, Chicago Media Day. So I got to, to meet uh, head coach Thomas Hammock and some of the players he brought along from DeKalb. And, yeah, like you say, I mean, what I 
designate NIU as a stepping stone job. I mean, I, I think every group of five program, just due to the widening gap between uh, the haves and have-nots when it comes to facilities, money, you name it, uh, by their sheer nature are going to be uh, stepping stone jobs. The exception probably being Houston, which is paying Dana Holgerson $4 million a year now. But, um, look, NIU has been as successful as any group of five team over the last 15 years. It started with Joe Novak. It started with Thomas Hammock and his classmate, P.J. Fleck, another head coach right now at Minnesota, uh, who helped kind of take that program out of the ashes, so to speak, beat Alabama, become almost the original BCS busters going back almost two decades now. And uh, they've been able to maintain that and, and, you know, build upon that over the last 15 or so years through a number of different head coaches, whether it's Jerry Kill, Dave Doran, Rod Carey, we just saw in his tenure in DeKalb uh, with another MAC title. And so now you bring back one of your own, Thomas Hammock, who uh, all of his experience uh, is as a recruiting coordinator or position coach, both at the college and NFL level. Uh, but he is one of their own. He is a beloved figure in DeKalb, and he is a guy who is hoping to uh, not only just sustain what Rod Carey and all of his predecessors helped build, but, but to take this program uh, to the next step and probably not compete for a, a New Year's Six ball, but at least be one of the better group of five teams and continue to compete for MAC titles year in and year out. We're just watching college football year to year, and then I read your column, and I had to realize after reading, like, oh my God, the Huskies have been to 10 bowl games in 11 past 11 seasons. It's like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> so so for, for NIU, would you say that Hammett could be their um, Pat Fitzgerald to just come up with a name off the top of my head as far as someone who wants to stay with the program and, and watch it grow? Yeah, that's an interesting comparison. I hadn't thought of it in that context quite yet. Um, I think the jury's obviously still out because the guy hasn't coached the game as a head coach yet. But the interesting dynamic with NIU for me now is the fan base grew really cold on Rod Carey toward the end there, uh, for better or worse. Um, he came off as a little abrasive early on uh, during that 2012 Orange Bowl when he uh, took over for Dave Dorn. And the year after, they made a run where Jordan Lynch, their quarterback, now the head coach at uh, Mount Carmel High School on the south side, uh, after he made it to New York as a Heisman finalist, and there was almost like this, I don't want to call it a steady decline, but, but the program really failed to, I think, ever turn that trajectory, if you will, in a positive direction. It was still good enough to, to compete and in some cases win the MAC title uh, most years. But then you look at a season like last year where that offense was just absolutely awful. They finished 8-6, and six, and oh, by the way, they won the MAC title. And so it's a really interesting dynamic for Thomas Hamick now coming in, who I think, you know, uh, there are many plausible scenarios this year and in, in the, the imminent years to come where uh, he could have better records and better teams than some of Ron Carey's, you know, past couple outfits had in DeKalb. And he might not have the hardware to show for it just by the way the schedule breaks and, and by virtue of, you know, some of these wins that, that these close, low scoring wins that uh, Carey's crew was able to, to pile up over the past couple of years. So uh, it's an interesting kind of you know, relationship and dynamic between the fan base and at least the previous head coach there right now. And I'm fascinated to see what unfolds because you always got the sense that, uh, you know, especially after, I want to say it was the 2016 season when NIU had that one bowl this season you had mentioned before, that, you know, is this going to be it for Ron Carey? And, uh, you know, credit to him, he found a way to deliver and not only compete for but win MAC titles as recently as his final year and was able to get out of town and, and land at an even bigger group of five program in Philly uh, with Temple University. So I'm very curious to see 
the fan reaction to having one of their own in the big chair right now um, to see if they can fill that stadium uh, or at least make it more fill on a consistent basis. Obviously incredibly tough to do when most of your games are, are coming midweek uh, and when you only have five home games as the Huskies do this season. Uh, but, but I think it's a fresh start for this program, and I think despite all the success they've had in the last five or ten years, uh, it's a needed fresh start for both sides. Matt Fortuna covers college football for TheAthletic.com. Joins me, Jonathan Hood, for the Summer of Football on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Let's go to another column as you continue to examine the, some of the Power 5 teams. Let's talk about Purdue. So if Coach Jeff Brom came to you and said, Matt, what, what do you think I should do? Should I stay here and make something out of West Lafayette, or should I go home to Louisville? What would have been your advice to him? Yeah, that's really a personal preference. I realize I'm dodging your question right here. But Don't do that, well, Fortuna. Don't do they're, that. They're paying them a lot more money. <laughs> well, here, I'll lay it out to you in dumb English, which is another way of saying financial. Purdue's paid them nearly $6 million a year. Louisville's not going to pay them that. So in that case, I think you stay at Purdue <laughs> and help build upon the great foundation you've built uh, the first two years there and taking very undermanned rosters uh, and knocking off some Goliaths like, uh, like Ohio State last year and make it to bowl games and back-to-back seasons in two different ways, too. I mean, the first year it was really on the back of that defense, and last year uh, with, with so many new faces on defense, you weren't sure if they'd be able to keep up. And sure enough, they, they start 0-3 but are able to rally midseason, come up with a, a couple big upset wins, and, and make a bowl game. And the biggest win of all for Purdue was Jeff Brown saying, yes, I'm staying at the end despite his hometown, despite his alma mater coming after him. And, Look, I think a lot of people had pegged that. Heck, I was at his debut game uh, against Louisville and Indianapolis two, almost two years ago now. And Purdue, which was a 28-point underdog or so going into that game, took the Heisman winner, Lamar Jackson, and Louisville to the limit. And I remember talking to a lot of Louisville fans, a lot of Louisville media people coming out of that game, and they all thought, oh, yeah, that's our guy. That's the guy we should hire. And that was before everything had really gone downhill for Bobby Petrino and his crew. But but with the state of that program now after last season's 2-10 and 10 finish with just so much toxicity, toxic nature, whatever you want to call it, going on in the Derby City last year, I think they made a great hire at Scott Satterfield. I also think Scott Satterfield is the perfect man for that job because uh, I don't think the outside expectations are going to be all that high for him this year because he knows as well as anyone in that program that they have a massive rebuild job on their hands. And if Jeff Brown came there, certainly the circumstances would be the same, but the outside noise, the media intention, the family, the friends, all the people he grew up around with, they would probably be expecting them to dethrone Clemson uh, from year one in the ACC, and that's just not a realistic uh, uh, situation right now. So I think when you look beyond the brand names, when you look at you know the meat of each program right now, Purdue has one of the best facilities in the country. I mean, it's unbelievable. Probably the best weight room in the country. Uh, they're paying Jeff Brom almost $6 million now a year. He's one of the higher-paid coaches throughout the Big Ten. And he's just starting to get his guys in that program. I mean, Rondell Moore was a freshman last year and was the first consensus All-American true freshman in the Big Ten in almost 20 years. So I think as they continue to recruit well, they recruited the 25th best class in the country this past season. Uh, I think it's still the best is yet to come for Purdue. And if you're Jeff Brom, you're a guy who's made it clear you're not about chasing the next big thing. You're not about well. I wouldn't say you're not about money because you took a job, you kept a job that was paying you more. But uh, I think I don't think he's a career climber. I don't think he's a social climber. I think uh, if the right opportunity struck, it would probably be in the NFL uh, or, or something of that nature. Because if he turned down Louisville, I just have a hard time 
seeing a scenario, unless things were to get really bad at Purdue and there's no sign that they will anytime soon, I just don't see a scenario in which he sees uh, that the grass is greener outside of West Lafayette right now. No, no NFL for Jeff Brom because Kirk Ferentz is supposed to be in there first. He's been in the NFL for 15 years now. Everyone after every season, well, people and, say Ferentz has got to be the there. The losing coach at Texas Tech ended up beating all of them. Shows you how much we all know, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Ferentz has been rumored for 15 years for the NFL job, and I don't think it's ever going to happen. Uh, speaking of a former NFL coach, Matt, um, so in June you wrote about uh, Lovey Smith. Now. From Purdue's standpoint, I could see how the arrow could be pointing up because it's a rebuild. You know, Brom wants to be there. You mentioned some of the facilities, and then we look in Champaign. Man, I don't see a path forward for for Lovey Smith, and and I just I'm wondering who's going to be the right guy. When will it break through for Illinois? Because it's been a long time, and it's not because he isn't trying. It's just about athletes. You could see how teams will come into Champaign, or if they're going on the road. It just doesn't look like a, a Big Ten or at least a mi- middle-of-the-road Big Ten team um, as far as competition, as far as personnel. It doesn't look good. What what is your, your what, what do you forecast for Illinois with Lovey Smith in year four? I think a bowl game is a realistic goal. Whether they get there or not, I'd put the odds probably somewhere a little below 50-50. Um, but, but, you know, you talked about the, the arrow pointing up for Purdue – I don't know if I'd say it's static. I wouldn't say it's up, but it's definitely not down for Illinois, if only for the fact that they have nowhere to go but up, as sad as that sounds. Now, yeah. uh, the gravity of the situation that Lovey Smith inherited in March of 2016, going into Champaign, not being able to recruit, not really being able to, to hire a, a full staff in the traditional sense because most of the jobs were already filled and there weren't that many candidates out there. Uh, he's done a really good job behind the scenes of cleaning up that program. They have a new, brand-new facility opening uh, this month that's going to help recruiting. Uh, recruiting's been on the upswing. They made positive strides last year on offense after hiring Rod Smith from Arizona, who was formerly uh, Khalil Tate's offense coordinator during his brief Heisman run uh, in 2017. Now, that defense was god-awful. Uh, it was, if not the worst, well, UConn was the worst in history, and they're playing at UConn this year, so we may see a lot of points in that game in week two, but it was an absolutely awful defense. And they had a coordinator change in October, there was an opening there for three or four months, and at the end of the day, Lovey Smith ended up appointing himself a defense coordinator. And uh, that tells me two things. One is he's betting on himself to get this thing turned around, and if it's not now, it's probably never going to happen because uh, I don't think they were ever going to fire him last year, but they really couldn't because they owed him $14 million as part of his buyout, and I think that number goes down to four now. So I do think it's put up or shot up time in Champaign for Lovey Smith. But the other part of that, when you have an opening for four months and you end up promoting from within – uh, just not a lot of people outside of Champaign have a lot of faith in yes, the stability of that operation right now. I mean, no one wants, no one worth their salt as a coordinator was going to leave whatever situation they were in presently uh, to go to Champaign and work for what's presumably only going to be one year. Um, that's just kind of the, the outside view of Illinois football right now. And look, again, I think they've done a lot better. I think they won four games last year and probably could have won five or six. That doesn't sound like much, but again, when you're in the starting from scratch, the way Lovey Smith and that program was, um, I, I think you have to to measure steps in a very very small way. Uh, the question now is, can they get over that hump and get to a bowl? And if they do get to a bowl, does that mean he stays on for another year and continues to build? Because I do think he's done a good job of laying a foundation behind the scenes there. I think that program was broken in so many ways after so much 
crazy off-the-field stuff that happened there. I, I just don't know if Lovey is the guy to take them to that next uh, step, if you will. I talk to Illinois fans, and they think, why can't we be as good as Iowa every year? And, you know, I talk to Iowa fans, and they think, why can't we be as good as Wisconsin every year? So there's always another <laughs> step for, for every program. Uh, but but certainly there's nowhere to go up, up, up right now if you're Illinois. Matt Fortuna covers college football for TheAthletic.com. He joins me, Jonathan Hood, for our Summer of Football segment on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Matt, as we get ready for Notre Dame uh, football here on the home of the Irish ESPN 1000, what how do you foresee the season based on the roster and schedule for Brian Kelly? You know, this could be the best offense of the Brian Kelly era. They have not averaged 40 points per game. I don't even think they've averaged 35 points per game, I think, in his first nine seasons there. And with a returning starting quarterback, with playoff experience, with a lot of proven skill guys around that quarterback, I think this offense could be really good. The question is going to be on the defensive side of the ball. Um, when you lose the, really the meat of that defense, which were the linebackers last year, Drew Tranquil and Tavon Coney, and you don't have a whole lot of depth and a whole lot of proven upperclassmen to replace them, I, I, I think that gives you some cause for concern. And I think of the secondary, when you lose a, a, an All-American, a consensus All-American like Julian Law, the cornerback, uh, that also uh, shows a little bit of vulnerability back there. I do like the defensive line a lot. Uh, again, I do like what they have offensively, and they've returned their pretty much their entire staff, with, with the exception of running backs coach, where by all accounts they got an upgrade, at least on the recruiting trail, in trading in Autry Denson for Lance Taylor uh, from the Carolina Panthers. I think they have a chance to be a really good football team. Whether that's playoff caliber or not, probably not. They have a ridiculously easy home schedule, and they have a ridiculously hard road schedule with games at Michigan, at Georgia, which I'm sure you have circled on your calendar, Jonathan, and uh, at Stanford. And they're probably going to be underdogs in all three of those games. And if they can win even one of them, you know, you probably go 10-2. and two, And that's a third straight 10-win season for Brian Kelly, which no one has done since Lou Holtz. But uh, that's going to take, I think, a lot of uh, accelerating of the growth curve, if you will, for some people on that defense because there are just a couple of vulnerabilities right now where I don't think anyone there is feeling too comfortable. Is uh, is there a storyline that you're looking forward to this upcoming college football season or a matchup that you're looking forward to covering or seeing? You know, Notre Dame, Georgia, week three uh, <laughs> in Athens isn't, isn't too bad. I mean, oh, yeah. uh, when you look at the, the way they match up on paper, I think that's a nightmare matchup for Notre Dame just based on the way Georgia runs the ball so effectively. But, look, two years ago that game was played in South Bend. It was the first career start for Jake Fromm the second career start for Brandon Wimbush, and it was a one-point game. And both teams ended up having really good seasons, but in Georgia's case in particular, that ended up springboarding them into this remarkable run that, hate to bring it up, but should have ended in a national championship win. Mm-hmm. I mean, they just were able to build so much confidence off a big non-conference road win early in the season like that, especially with a rookie quarterback. And you see that so often with young teams. They play some really tough non-conference games early on, and they're almost always close, and if it goes south, that can rattle their confidence, and that can domino into a second or third loss down the line. If they win, they can think they're on top of the world and, and play like it for as long as humanly possible. And uh, I think for both teams right now, uh, when you look at the schedule they have after that, uh, both you know not easy by any means, um, not incredibly tough, but I, I think these are the opponents that each has circled on their calendar for the first month of the season. And if assuming they're each one is three and O or four and O after beating the other, um, then things start to come into view and the big picture starts keeping in and you're able to see uh, down the road if you can make the playoff again. And so at least early season, 
that's a game that I'm very much looking forward to seeing. Week one this year is probably one of the weaker week ones I've seen, at least in the playoff era, outside of Auburn and Oregon playing in Dallas. I just don't think there's much meat on the bone. No, I agree with that. And so I've really enjoyed your pieces this summer uh, because you've, you've skipped around to a number of different programs. What is another piece you're working on here? Uh, we're working on a couple right now. Uh, I was in Mizzou in June, and I'll have something uh, coming up soon uh, on just kind of the, the way that senior-laden program has been able to rally in the face of what many believe is unjust sanctions, sanctions that are still pending review right now, but knowing the NCA will probably get an answer on whether they're bowl eligible or not right during bowl season. <laughs> so that's one I'm working on now. And, you know, I've been all over the country the last couple of weeks between Pac-12 Media Day out in L.A., Big Ten here in Chicago, uh, ACC in Charlotte, and just getting to talk to a number of different coaches and athletic directors and players and uh, seeing what's, what's what around the country, what's the focus on it, and particularly as it relates to the playoff and as it relates to a lot of teams' national championship chances or hopes, if they're not in Death Valley, South Carolina, or if they're not in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, uh, it's been pretty eye-opening. And, and so I, I'm just curious now and snooping around and asking around to see what is feasible in terms of realistic national championship goals in the playoff era if you're not one of a handful of programs. Well, you were at the uh, the Pac-12 Media Day. Was that in a small room for Larry Scott? Hey, what, what, an, what an embarrassment that, that conference was last year. And then the 9 a.m. Pacific time start, that's a great idea. That's, that's a wonderful idea. That's, that's just great, Matt Fortuna. My God, what's going on out there? Uh, they've got, I mean, it's a different part of the country. And when you're out there, you, you certainly see that. I mean, if you're not relevant, if you're not winning games and doing it in a, a very uh, appealing fashion, pretty much if you're not USC winning by a lot, it's really tough. Uh, to get people to to rally behind you and keep that interest year long. There's just so much other stuff going on out there. I mean, when you look at ESPN, Fox, all the TV networks and their schedules, I mean, they're going to put their biggest games with their biggest audiences at 3.30 or at 8 o'clock. And that's pretty much always going to be the Big Ten or the SEC, sometimes the ACC, sometimes the Big 12. It's hardly ever going to be the Pac-12. And so they now find themselves in a situation where they're either getting buried as the fourth or fifth best game at 3.30, or they're putting them alone at 10.15 Eastern time, in which case no one in two-thirds of the country is staying up to watch that right now, and they need to find another way to bring eyeballs to their product. Is 9 a.m. the way to do that? Uh, no. That's a very tough ask and a very big ask of your fans. And we've seen what's happening with the Mac, where when you sell out to TV, in some ways you're, you're, you're selling out your own fans, and you may be threatening a generation of of, of uh ticket-paying customers to come because, I mean, NIU, we were talking about them earlier, uh, a group of five powerhouse, a MAC powerhouse. I've been to multiple midweek games there, good games, Western Michigan, you know, Ball State when they were good under Pete Lumbo. And, I mean, you can count the number of people who are in the stands because it's a 6 o'clock local start. Anyone who's coming is either on campus or coming from Chicago, and they can't get out of work to get in time there and beat traffic. And uh, their only visibility is basically through ESPN on Wednesday or Thursday nights when they're their only game uh, in town and they're their only uh, live sport uh, on TV at that point. And I just think you're going down a slippery slope if you're a Power 5 conference like Pac-12 if you're going to go and play 9 a.m. games. Because I, I just don't think you'll be able to fill the seats. And I think the long-term consequences of that are, 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 are going to rear their ugly head down the road. I think the best way for Pac-12, or for the Pac-12 to be able to get a spotlight on them is a series of five games between Mike Leach and Herm Edwards. 
That's all you, you want to see, I'm right? I take five press conferences a piece from each of them. That's good enough for me. <laughs> That's all you want to see out of that conference, right? What Mike Leach is going to say, his sideline demeanor, and then Herm. And what's going on with, with Arizona? So Arizona Herm State, is the so. gift that keeps on giving for us, let me tell you, man. <laughs> well, I'm glad you spent some time. I'm looking forward to the season, Matt. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Likewise, brother. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Matt Fortuna from TheAthletic.com with me, Jonathan Hood. Tales from the Hood is next. Hey, yo, Jay Hood, you know nobody covers the sports like you do, man. Let's go. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. It's the Cubs and the Cardinals. Here's Jesse Rogers who files a report, Jess. Quite the disaster here, Jay Hood, as the Cubs are on the verge of losing another road series. They haven't won one since mid-May. It's 7-0 Cardinals in the seventh. They really opened things up a couple innings ago. John Lester could not get uh, an out in the sixth inning. He leaves after five-plus. couple guys on. Derek Holland comes in. Promptly gives up a three-run homer to Matt Wieters, who was batting righty at the time. Holland really bad against righties this year. That extended the lead to 6 nothing Earlier in the game, uh, the Cubs were getting no hit by Jack Flaherty. They finally got a base hit in the fifth. Nicholas Castellanos, the newcomer, with a pretty good debut at the plate. He struck out um, in his second bat, but that was nine pitches. He saw seven pitches in his other two at bats, and he finally broke through for the Cubs. But that's the only hit in the game for them. David Phelps, another newcomer, is in right now. Cubs having all sorts of problems on offense as Jack Flaherty has really, really made them look bad. Chris Bryant has struck out three times against him. 7 nothing. bottom seven, Cardinals lead. What do you got there? This is your car. My car? I said a 10-second car, not a 10-minute car. Pop the hood. Pop the hood? Pop the hood. Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Here we go. You realize if Theo and Jed fire Joe Madden, like nobody can salvage this this year. Like it, this is done. There, there is no. I, I was thinking that at some point, because it's baseball, right? That there'd be like a second act. There, there's nothing with this team. It's flat. It just, there's just no juice. Not happening. And, of course, you know, I think the real thing that they should do, the real cog in the wheel that needs to be removed for this to make this work, the Cubs have to fire Chili Davis. Tales from the Hood is brought to you by Northwestern Football, Chicago's Big Ten team. Join Coach Fitz and the Big Ten West Division champions at Ryan Field this fall as they host Ohio State, Iowa, and more. Season tickets are available now at NUSports.com and NUSports.com. Tales from the Hood. Stories of sports, entertainment, everything else in between. Uh, by the way, we got to mention this because it's up now, right, uh, right, uh, Eric? I'm looking at it right here. Harley Race passes away, eight-time NBA. Yep, it's uh, it's up and live right now. All right, so the N- NWA champion Harley Race passes away. We did a podcast for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. We had Chris Zellner on, who was a wrestling historian. That is available on ESPNChicago.com. It's also available on my Twitter at WrestlingTWT. 
Uh, and again, wherever you download your podcast, look for Wrestling TWT. That way, you can hear our thoughts about the uh, the late Harley Race, who passed away cancer had cancer for a long time, eight time in NWA champion. So uh, you'll be able to hear our thoughts about Harley in our special podcast we did earlier today. Okay, Tales from the Hood: Stories of Sports Entertainment, and everything else in between. <laughs> Some good ones. I'm looking through the list here. Man sentenced to 20 days in jail after slapping Little Caesars manager over pizza toppings. Boy, I tell you what, more and more we do this segment, more and more people get mad about food and food not being right. We Every week we got something like this, right? Livonia man has been arrested for assaulting a Little Caesars manager all because he was unhappy with his pizza. The attack was caught on camera. You can see how she was smacked right across the face. Oh, great. Uh, that irate customer first called to complain about his pizza. But even after he was told that he couldn't get a refund for a new pizza, he showed up at the Leaser's uh, spot. So I've been doing this for 12 years, not a day in my life. I've never had a customer lash out at me, especially over a $5 pizza, according to Kelsey Beckwith. She still can't believe what happened to her earlier this month. Police say that Joseph Thorpe is the man who got so mad at his pizza because it had Italian seasoning on it instead of Parmesan. He threw his pizza on the counter, told me he was going to beat everyone's ass in the store. I got my co-worker to call the police because he's threatening everybody. Turn the page. I was getting ready to refund his money, and next thing you know, I turned back towards him, and he he legit stepped into it, brought his hand back, and slapped the crap out of me. God almighty. Seconds later on the 911 call, you can hear Beckwith screaming in pain. And Thorpe was charged with assault and battery and was sentenced to 20 years. So to No, sentenced, it should be 20 years. Sentenced to 20 days behind bars. She's no longer in pain, she says, but she definitely uh, is going to be more on guard at work. What is going on in Livonia, Michigan, that a dude can be just like, I don't like my toppings, and to slap the mess out of someone who works at Little Caesars and only charge with 20 days behind bars? Right, and I'm sure it's like weekend time only, too. I, I think slapping someone is a whole different level of angry compared to punching someone. I think I'd be more upset if someone all out slapped me than took a swing at me with a punch. I mean, it's still assault. And, no, I'm not saying one thing's worse than the other. I just uh, slapping someone angrily... Is a whole different level to me. Like, I don't know. You think about slapping, punching. Sometimes you just haul off and punch people. I don't know. God. And it was because it, there was Italian season, not Parmesan cheese, right? Right. That's the most minor detail there could be. Okay. Here's the thing. Let me do that. Let me walk into a Little Caesars and be like, I don't like my toppings, Joe, and then slap somebody. How many days do I get? You're not going to You'd be lucky to leave the Little Caesars intact. I mean, I wouldn't be on the schedule. I'm not on the schedule now. <laughs> Could you imagine if I went to cat in jail for slapping somebody? How many how many shows would I be doing here? Zero. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't know. Didn't know you were gone. <laughs> um, <laughs> older Florida drivers have found the solution to keep you young. Vehicle for higher uh, services or ride sharing has increased in recent years, along with the number of people choosing to work in the industry. Nearly a quarter of Uber drivers, for example, in the United States are over the age of 50. And there's a ripple effect being seen here in Florida. In the end of the traditional workday, and instead of driving home, Trisha Yarso, 
uh, is hard at work at her second job. She says, that'll keep you young. So here's a question. If you're over the age of 50, is driving other people around in your car with them messing up your car, farting in your car, you know, messing up your car with the... You know, food and stuff that you don't expect in your back seat. Is, does that really keep you young or does that aggravate you? I bet you half of those older 50 people are mad aggravated and the other half feel like they're out there with the millennials, with the kids, listening to the music they want. Do you ever notice when you get into Uber, you totally get prejudged and they change the station to what they think you'll listen to? <laughs> Every time they'll be listening to like like a talk news station. Then you sit down and all of a sudden they think I'm listening. And they just, oh, this guy must like rock and roll. And I'm, I'm now I'm listening to classic rock. You know what? You are correct because when I got into an Uber, last time I was in an Uber, it was uh, on it was on NPR, and then I got into there and I took it took a five minute ride. All of a sudden, it was on Power ninety two. Exactly. I don't, I don't know what <laughs> exactly. Why, why do you think I want to hear Power ninety two? Did anyone say that I want to hear Power ninety two? Anybody? It's profiling. Did, did I'm anybody, telling you. Anybody believe I want to hear Tone in the Afternoon? <laughs> anybody? <laughs> I don't think it's. Uh-huh. Um, man, give me a few minutes. I know we're against the clock, but it, these stories are so much fun. Man stole a bulldozer, drove it into a porch of a house. This is in Akron, Ohio. Police say that an Ohio man accused of stealing bulld- a bulldozer, driving it into the porch of a house after an argument with the home's resident. Uh, as he's been arrested on charges including theft and criminal damaging. So Randy Schiffbauer, he's Randy Schiffbauer of Akron, is accused of taking the bulldozer from a nearby construction site and driving to the side of a house into the enclosed porch. Authorities say a parked vehicle and a chain-link fence were also hit by the bulldozer. So Schiffbauer was charged last week, uh, but didn't say what the charge is, though. In the story. I'm thinking 20 days. Yeah, 20 days on the weekends only. And if you're going on vacation, just make sure you come back, please. Jonathan Hood, though, does that. Get it behind a bulldozer. <laughs> how many shifts do I miss? If you get behind a bulldozer, do you have any idea how to drive it? Uh, yeah. Before I got married, yeah. Okay. Ha-ha. Pardon the expression. <laughs> you know, it took some years for Eric to get that. And now he understands now the double entendre. It's amazing. It took a while, though, but the tutoring is very good. He's a, I take two things. It's, a, it's amazing. It's the, it's the $20,000 pyramid for him. It's, it is, <laughs> it's, it's, he, he gets the top of the pyramid and wins every time with that now. Uh, it's like Family Feud. He hits the, he, he's hit the buzzer before everybody else does. Um, this, is, <laughs> this is funny. Okay, so what do we call ourselves? Because all of us are from the state of Illinois. Eric, it's, it's maybe a, a question about you because you could be from Wisconsin. Right. It's border. It depends <laughs> on what side of my yard I'm on, right? Exactly. So you're pretty close. <laughs> okay. So I'm from Illinois, so I'm an Illinoisan, right? That that S in there is really hard to ignore with the way it's written out. Illinoisian? Illinoisian is probably correct. Illinoisian? I've always said Illinoisans. Illinoisan. Yeah. See, I never call myself anything outside of Chicago. No, I'm from Illinois. But shout Scheider. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Alabamians from Alabama. Mm-hmm. Alaskan. Makes sense? Yep, that one's fine. Arizonian. Arkansan. Tough. Arkansan. Californian. Sure. Mm-hmm. Rolls off the tongue. See, this is what it comes down to, whether it rolls off the tongue or not, right? 
Coloradoan. 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 That's a tongue twister. Coloradoan. Coloradoan. That's yeah. fun, actually. I kind of like it. Floridian. Floridian, I like. We've heard that before. Mm-hmm. Georgian. Uh, Hawaii resident. Wait. <laughs> it's not, it's not Hawaiian. <laughs> it's not Hawaiian? I always thought Hawaiian. Tom Shear's going to be pissed. Hawaii, Hawaii. resident. Uh, my brother, Hawaiian. <laughs> Senator. It's not It's not, it's, it's not Hawaiian. It's, it's Hawaii resident. So transplants that move to Hawaii that are residents in Hawaii, are they Hawaii residents? No. Confusing. I think it should just say bra. Bra. <laughs> Brada. Brada. You've got to come in with me, bra. Yes, dog. I will. I will come in with you. Dog the bounty hunter. Yes, brada. Brada. Uh, the uh, Idahoan is from Idaho, right? Mm-hmm. Idaho- Idahoan. Idahoan. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Years ago. Um, <laughs> Iowan. Kansan. Kentuckian. Makes sense, right? Yeah, Louisianan, Louisianan. I like that one. Uh, Mainer, Mainer. Yes, so it says Mainer. <laughs> Mainer. Did you just add an R to the end of Maine? Hockey. You're a Mainer. Mainer. Hey, Mainer. <laughs> Mainer. Um, Marylander or Marylander? Marylander. That one's fun. It sounds like a movie. Massachusetts. In Massachusetts. Massachusetts and Massachusetts and Massachusetts and. Mich- it seems to be Michigander, but it says Michigan I A N. Michiganian? Michiganian. There we go. That's stupid. <laughs> Minnesotan? Mississippian? That, that's uh, Davis's family, Mississippian. Missourian? Montananin? Montananin. 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 Nebraskan? Nevadan. New Hampshireite? New Jerseyan? New Mexican, New Yorker, North Carolina, North Carolinian. Okay, I like North that Carolinian. one. Yeah. North Dakotan, Iowan, Oklahoma, in Oklahoma, in Oklahoman. That's yeah, it that's is. it. Oklahoma, o- Oklahoma. <laughs> I'm Oklahoman. There was God. one that was. What was the Connecticut one? I couldn't even figure out how to pronounce it when I was reading it. Con- connect, can a Connecticuter? Connecticuter. I've never heard that before. Me either. Never heard, never that, heard that one before. This is a list of states. We're not going through. <laughs> well, actually, through all of them almost. Wyomingite, Wisconsinite, West Virginian, Washingtonian, Virginian. Virginian. A fine Virginian. program. A fine Western program from the <laughs> 1960s. Watch that on MeTV. The Virginian, everybody. Ba, 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 ba. Mike North. We'll talk about that tomorrow. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, <laughs> I remember the Virginian. It was a great program. Um, <laughs> it'll be on Odds Couple tomorrow. Hey, Carm, do you remember the Virginian? A fine program. Me and B watch it all the time. Always B. Um, Utah, Texan, Tennessean, South Dakotan, South Carolinian, Rhode Islander, Pennsylvanian, Oregon- Oregonian. Oregonian. That's yes. a good one. And my favorite out of all the states in the when you again in designating the natives of states, the following forms are going to be used. We named a lot of these states, but the favorite one on here, that Alabamian. Not Iowan, not Kansan. For the state of Indiana, Hoosier. Jonathan Hood. I don't see why I need a stylist when I shot so much.
language, I can speak Italian. On ESPN. I'm a Hoosier.